Welcome to Swanglinese, the only podcast talking the language of business here in the Middle East. Your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Andermo, give you their own insights, as well as interviewing business leaders in the region to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. Barry, Oscar, let's talk Swanglinese. Just before we get started, a quick word from one of our sponsors. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Cobabble. Cobabble is a technology platform that aims to help you digitize and digitalize your business. Simple to use, massively powerful, and guaranteed to bring your paper-based archaic processes into the digital age. Cobabble leverages the smart device technology already in your employees' hands to help streamline processes, share information, as well as educate and train your workforce. Whether you have paper-based checklists, forms, or audits that need digitizing, are looking for a better way to communicate with your teams, need to train them on the go, or are looking to replace your existing system with one that is far more cost-effective, Cobabble is the tool for you. Check out cobabble.com for more information, to request a demo, or sign up for your free trial. Cobabble, your digitization partner. Okay, and let's get on with it. Hello and a very warm welcome to this episode of the podcast in the virtual studio this week. I have the pleasure of the company of Mike Curie, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Tactical. Mike, how are you? Very good, thanks. How are you going, Barry? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks very much for taking the time to join us. I know that our paths have crossed a couple of times over the years, so I'm really, really happy to be having this chat with you uh, on the podcast and and looking forward to you uh, telling your story in full, as it were, to help um, our listeners understand a bit about why we're here talking to each other um, at at this point in time. What we usually like to do to start is to to ask you as as our guest to sort of wind back the clock a little bit um, and and give us an idea of who Mike Curie is in terms of your background from a professional perspective, go back as far as you like, just in terms of where you started, why you started, and then also bring us up to date to where Tactical comes in and, and what you're doing. So over to you, Mike. Amazing. Thanks so much, Barry. And obviously, thank you very much for having me on the, on the podcast. Um, sweet. So throwing it back, I mean, don't know how far to go to start it all off, but um, we're both in Dubai, um, both in the UAE. And actually, I was born in the UAE. So if I start there, it's probably a good place. Um, and I've got a really mixed bag, bag of a background. Um, grew up in Dubai, moved to Australia, came back to Dubai, went to uni in the UK, back to Oz, back to Dubai on holiday and just never left. So um, combine that with all the people I met along the way, the, the different sort of experiences um, I, I got by, you know, integrating with different cultures and that sort of thing. I've, I've always felt very privileged with that sort of a background, especially in Dubai, because I just had exposure to, to so many different points of view, cultures, um, yeah. a real diversity of, of, of thought, really. Um, and uh, initially, when I came back here on holiday post-uni, I, um, I kind of bounced around in a few gigs, as, as, as a lot of people did, or as a lot of people do generally, trying to find their feet. And when I say yeah. that, I started initially in, in PR, and then I moved to um, travel um, and hospitality. And then it, it got to the point where I just always had this itch with, with digital, this itch with data, um, and um, ended up basically um, getting a getting a role with a with a Danish company who um, was looking to set up their operation here, um, and that was sort of the first taste of being able to start a business but on someone else's dime. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was exciting because I, I got the support of of, a, of an organization, but really their whole intention was to set up shop in the Middle East, and that was basically based on my recommendations. So. 
that was a really exciting time. And then sadly, um, I was going to say Corona hit, not yet. Um, <laughs> sadly, the, the, the global financial crisis hit um, mm-hmm. and everything. If, I don't know if, if you were back in Dubai, if you were in Dubai back then, but yeah. the, the city became a concrete graveyard. Not, like everyone just, just bounced. The cars were left at the airport. Um, and the city was just a shell of itself. Yeah, um, and um, what, what was really interesting was um, while the company that I was working with at the time was obviously trying to, to make things continue and, and still had a lot of ambition in the region, um, I ended up having a, a bit of a, a personal experience um, where I injured myself. I was playing basketball and um, funnily enough against Chris Fade and we had a clash in the air and my kneecap just exploded. Um, and at the time, at the time I was laughing with Chris and he was like, let's take photos. I, I work for this radio station. Let's put it on, uh, let's put it on our blog back before Instagram. <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I got to the hospital, realized the extent of it. And there was a whole like reconstruction, spent a year trying to learn how to walk. Sadly was made wow. redundant in that time. I, I couldn't get out of bed. Um, but for me, like while it was what felt at the time like the worst thing that ever happened to me was I look back and I actually think it was the best thing that ever happened Mm -hmm. to me my life was just moving at such pace um, and that was a moment to just stop look around figure out what I wanted to do um, and ended up spending you know most that year learning how to walk again rehab and Mm -hmm. did a bit of traveling came across like lots of different sort of ideas that stimulated and excited me so I started writing down a few business plans one was like trading gold in Saudi Arabia another was um doing something uh, on the ground here with a friend of mine who ended up leaving and it was just all this like excitement and buzz of like what well, we could do this and we could do that um and then it got to the point where I was actually in the UK and I came across um a concept um which inspired building an app um, and this was back in the in the days of like the app economy really just at its birth. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember, but Sheikh Mohammed said, you know, every government business, every government entity has to have a mobile strategy, and it was super ambitious. And, and everyone just reacted like, we need apps, we need to build apps. Yeah. So it's kind of the same sort of um, the same sort of time um, when I started to build this app called Shoe to Do. So what to do? And it's basically the entertainer in your pocket. And back then, everyone's like, why would you do it on an app? Like, you've just got the book. Just carry the yeah. book. And I'm like, believe me, it's this whole thing. It lives on a phone. It's going to be the future. And everyone's like, no, nah, like, you're a little bit wild. Yeah. Um, and anyway. <laughs> I still want to carry around that massive book with all the vouchers <laughs> <Yeah>. in. <laughs> Um, better for a doorstop if I'm honest, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so no, we, um, you know, I, I built this thing out. I realized how difficult it was to a source of talent, but even when I found the talent, to actually build it to the design aesthetic that I was looking for. So like I was, I was really um, specific pixel by pixel of what I wanted, which meant I needed to have the team around me, which meant I wanted to do all the iterations, et cetera. Um, and then um, as I went live, it was, it was hugely anticlimactic because I was like, I'm going to be the next Zuckerberg and you go live. And I'll never forget it was at Central Perk, which is down in Sakeem, yeah. sat there, went live at like 10 a.m. and nothing happened. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, now I've actually got that. Like that was the easy part. Like the hard mm. part is actually running the business from that point on, right? Saying you're going to go live is, 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 yes, it's a milestone, but like all the work that comes after is actually where, where the, build, building the business actually occurs. Anyways, fast forward, it got to the point where um, I realized I actually really enjoyed building the products um, mm. more so than just focusing on that single brand. Um, and at the time, you know, my network would come to me and be like, you know, this, this entity wants to build an app. Do you know anyone? You're the app guy. Can you help me? And it just was that network effect of, of, of trying to solve other people's problems. 
um, that started this, this entire journey of, of what effectively became this agency. Um, and tactical was a was an, a label that I needed to put because officially, if I was going to take, it was actually a government uh, client in in Oman that we that the first contract we won that was significant enough to warrant having a business. Um, or at least its own business. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I remember driving to Oman, like, what am I going to call this thing? Um, <laughs> and I was kind of like, how are we going to do this? Because like, obviously it needs to be official. It's going to go through a tender process. They've, they've shortlisted our re- recommendation or our proposal. And they've said that they love the direction we want to take the, the solution in. Um, and then it actually came out that um, like on the drive there, like the name just popped and we stuck with it. And basically there was a lot of formalities that needed to be in place to act like an official business. But ultimately the, the solution was what we were offering. The solution that we were offering was really what they're after. Right. So that kickstarted our, our journey is tactical. Um, and we started building web and mobile products. And again, you know, when I built, when we, when the team would build these, these products, everyone thought they'd be the next Zuckerberg. Like, thanks for this e-com site. It's gone live. Why am I not making a bajillion dollars? And you're like, well, you need to, you need to market it. You need to go to market. You need to do all these things. Um, and back then, you know, it was, it was, it was a, lot, a lot of it was really reliant on traditional media. Um, we came in with this angle of let, let's, let's, let's track it, let's stick with digital. Obviously, you've got your digital campaigns you can run, but also what can we do with social? We want to connect with people on mobile. What is the mobile first thinking that we need to take on board? And, and, and basically, it started to steamroll from there. Like the, the, we build the product and we'd help them go to market, drive it, traffic, awareness, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, ultimately we got to a point where funnily enough, I went on holiday with a friend of mine and, um, she, or we went on holiday and a friend of mine was, uh, joined us and she, she actually works quite high up at, at Airbnb and she's part of the, um, she's part of the recruitment team. Um, and she was telling me how she, they hire from like two main universities and in, in one in Asia, one in India, one in um, China and they, 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 everyone's competing for this talent pool. Right. Um, and uh, as part of like their competition with this talent, talent, like the best in the world, you know, they're up against Snapchat, Facebook, you know, before, this is before TikTok and all those guys. Like, so you guys are all fighting for the best in class in the world. And, and then you've got these like, you know, second, second rate companies like Microsoft and Cisco and Salesforce who are fighting for like the guys who couldn't make it and went to MIT, right? Um, and uh, then like all the way at the bottom, are the like digital agencies and within the digital space as well. Like you had, you know, you have some great agencies that have done great work. And then all the way at the bottom of that list is us. I'm like, well, if we can't attract the best talents in the world, if we can't do the best work in the world, then why are we doing okay. it? Um, yeah. And this is, this is sort of like, this is, I don't know. It's my, my um, relationship with sport. It's my philosophy with when I played basketball a lot, you know, like if I couldn't be the best, why am I doing it? So like I had to try harder and I had to like put focus where I could actually have an impact. Um, and, and that kind of like just gave me a real re- realization where I looked at things and I was like, well, firstly, like there's the space was getting really flooded on web mm-hmm. in general, but I'm like, if we're not building the best web products in the world or the best mobile products in the world, then a, like what is it going to take for us to get there? And if, if we can get there, then what, what can we do? And if I was a coder by, by, by nature, then maybe I could compete in that space, sure. but I wasn't, and I couldn't recruit that type of talent. So it kind of made me question like, where can we be the best? What space can we move into where we can really apply change and have an impact and be best in class? Right. Um, and, uh, that was along the time when, when social was on the rise, uh, content was on the rise and, and, and that's basically where we adjusted our focus and we took bigger bets on, on places where we felt like we could have, you know, bigger impact and ultimately bigger reward. 
Um, and that's always been my philosophy. Like my philosophy is like, what does best in class look like? That's where they are. This is where we're going for. You know what I mean? Like if that's the benchmark, that's what best in class looks like today. What do we need to do to be better than that? Um, and maybe it's just my competitive spirit, but I'm also, I'm also of nature that if you can't be the best in the world at what you're doing, and at least you're not gunning for that, if you're not challenged for that, then why are you doing it? Right. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm not interested in just kind of plodding along doing day to day. Like I really want to challenge myself. I really want to push boundaries. And I want, I want the team that I'm surrounded by to help drive that momentum as well. So, you know, we work and we win together. Like even when I was a, when I was playing basketball, like there were times when, yes, you know, like I was relied on to be the top scorer, but there was other times when I had to pass, give up the pass and, and set someone else up to, to, to win that game. And it was always about working as a team. And I think that philosophy is, like if anything streams down to the team to the point where I'm always using sports analogies, but it's just my way of relating and, and, and um, communicating the, I guess the essence of what I'm looking to achieve. Um, and then from there, like as things have evolved, you know, we, we continue to pivot, we continue to, to, to adjust. Um, you know, we were running like headless chickens into 2020 and, um, you know, up until 2019, everything was like, we were just problem solvers at heart, mm -hmm. right? Like we work in a business where we are people first. So at the end of the day, the, as a service industry that relies on people, you know, we want to make sure that the stakeholders we work with, that the partners we build, we're solving their problems as well. Because mm -hmm. if we're not solving their problems, if we're not building relationships that are, 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 are hinged on, on, you know, success together, then really like it's not going to work out in the long term. That sort of transactional relationship that, I've seen around me in other businesses. I've seen around me when I've gone to other, other markets and, and, and felt used as a customer. Like that's not something I want to build. Like it's, it's a relationships over transactions. Um, yeah. And that's something that we've always tried to develop. Um, and then when COVID hit, it just gave us a real opportunity to just reset, look at things. And personally, there was a huge amount of panic, right? Like in the sense mm -hmm. of like, what the hell are we going through? How do we like steady the ship? You know, like people are going to look for someone to be a leader, someone to, to help navigate through the storm, um, be the calm in the storm. And obviously for me, I was like, what do I do? Um, and as a result of a modest, like we are a far better business as a result of COVID um, and the way we operate, the way we run, the way we communicate, collaborate, don't get me wrong. It comes with its challenges. It comes with its, its, its learnings because everything feels like it's brand new and we're almost having to build a new business. But going back to what I said is like, what's the benchmark? What does best in class look like? What do we learn and how do we, we exceed it? Um, and we've been doing that intentionally for so many years that it's, it's something that we felt quite comfortable to apply when we were approached with dramatic change. If, if the crowd's moving this way, I want to move this way. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be a sheep. Um, but at the same time, like, I also don't want to just be difficult, right? So it has to be calculated. Um, but the same, like, everyone was panicking and going this way with COVID. And I was trying to understand, like, well, what's the opposite? Like, what, as, as everyone's focusing on one, 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 you know, one, at that point, everyone was just sitting on their, like, phone, watching the news, watching this. I was, like, looking for different resources to learn from, to get inspired by, to, to understand and build my own patterns that I feel like would be important for us as a team to be able to navigate and um, through this uh, sort of like turmoil of, 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 of the pandemic. But that said, you know, fast forward almost two years now. Um, it is two years, right? Yeah, basically Pretty two much. years now. Yeah, we're getting yeah. towards it, yeah. <laughs> totally. And, and for me, like, while obviously there's been an incredible amount of challenges that have, have you know, personally been um, experienced, globally been experienced through my network, through my friends, my family, everyone's experienced a lot of like, like difficulties, 
Um, I also look at and I, I take perspective in terms of everything that we've been able to gain as well as a result of like resetting, readjusting, um, empowering the team with like a new vision, a new way of working. Um, and, and that for me has been an incredibly um, fulfilling experience as well. Mm. Um, so the business we are today is so different to where we were two years ago. Um, and I don't think we would be where we are today if it wasn't for, for the, the instance or the window that we've gone through um, because it forced us to behave differently. And if anything, sure. I've always embraced change. And I don't know if that's growing up in the Middle East, growing up in Dubai, where change was ever present Constant. and you were constantly, yeah, constantly being, I mean, we've just gone through it. You know, you wake up mid-December and they're like, by the way, we're doing Monday to Friday. Yeah. That's it. It's <laughs> happening. In other parts of the world, there'd be like, you know, people are like up in arms, like protesting the street. How can you do this? What about that? And don't get me wrong. There's, there's a lot of people who are probably a bit frustrated and like, why is this happening? And, you know, I really enjoyed my Sunday to Thursday and I, I love my Friday being off and all that sort of stuff. But like this part of the world, they say we're doing it and they do it. And I, I find that actually really inspiring. And yeah. the same thing as a business, you know, if we're going to say we're going to do something, get up and do it. Like, let's not talk about doing it for the next two, three years. Don't get me wrong. We're all... You know, not victim, but we've all been in those positions where we've had ambitions, we've had bets we've wanted to take and they've not fulfilled. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But the ones that you really believe in, the ones that you really want to make make um, immediate change with, you know, just, just go with it. Like steady headed, pull in all the information you can, keep people as informed as you can and move as a unit. And I think, you know, like growing up in this part of the world, they've done that time and time and time again. Um, it's something that I've found really, um, really like inspirational. Yeah, that's interesting you make that point, actually, because I think, and I didn't grow up there, but I'd been in the region for nearly 20 years, you know, first five years on and off, my parents lived there, and then I moved there 2000, or moved here in 2005. And yeah. just to emphasize that point of change at that point, and that was when you would say, right, where do you live? And uh, you say, oh, I live, I live X, Y, Z. It's okay, how do I get there? And the, the directions to get there would involve multiple palm trees, uh, you know, masts for Etisalat and corners and so forth. And then if you if you were using Google Maps, you know, I'd come to your place on Friday and then the next week I'd come to your place and be like, the road's gone. The road that went there is gone. And how do you navigate? And it is actually sort of, you, you navigate literally by doing. And, and, and I, I know the word's been done to death because of COVID. You pivot, you, you move and you think, okay, well, I guess I can probably cut across the desert over there and get around the back. And oh yeah, there it is. There's the house. And it's interesting because even my limited exposure of that, it does make you approach things differently in terms of saying, well, okay, that was the way, but it's not the way. And like you say, when I moved in, in 2005, I actually had a Thursday, Friday weekend um, that was back then. So it was interesting because then I was off when people were at work and then we were also an, a, an organization that dealt with Europe. So I think it was like I had a three-day working week once you took everybody's weekends into which it didn't make sense but at that time as a you know mid-20s like this is great actually i don't mind this at all and then it changed you know to, to, to friday saturday and like say now it's it's monday to friday and it's always interesting to hear that some people are so you know resilient to it, it expats are resilient to it because of that and again i, I fully appreciate their impacts on everything but that's what we always had, you know, prior to moving to this, this part of the world. Monday to Friday was our week. And it's interesting just to see how people do push back against these kind of things. And it's something I learned as well. You can push back as much as you like, but it's not going to change in this part of the world. Decisions yeah. made, get on board, deal with it and make your changes. Otherwise, you're, yeah. you're either just going to be left behind or more likely pushed out. 
because it's just this is what's happening. So that's, that's actually an interesting point again for people listening in is that your background of being in this region really helps you to, in some cases, just roll with the punches and say, well, okay, they, they changed it again. And as frustrating as that is, what are we going to do? Uh, how do we do that? And I also just wanted to go back to your point about this idea of everybody moving in the same direction, especially in the digital space, because I, I you know, when I started doing digital back in 2010, it was not many people doing it. I started as an affiliate marketer, then ended up doing some of the similar things in terms of the digital space, in terms of search engine optimization and optimization of sites and stuff. And then over the next, the last sort of decade is that now you turn around, everybody on every corner is doing something digital related or is in a digital agency. But I think that your ability also to look the other way and look for the other option is what's also given you longevity and such success. Because I wanted to touch on something that you did as an organization, which was about vertical. And uh, if you can just talk a little bit about that, because I remember when it happened, it was in, oh, you would tell it better than me, but I think it was around the same time as stories and Snapchat and stuff like that. But can you just tell us a little bit about that? Because I think if I'm not wrong, that's one of those pivotal changes where you just said, oh, everybody's doing this. We're going to do this. Yeah. Um, no, and you make a, make a really good point on the, on the resilience part, right? And um, in terms of like moving as a unit, I think there needs to be a lot of buy-in for that to happen. Mm. Um, and as a, as a region, generally a lot of people buy into the way of life here. And the same thing as an organization, you have to, you have to build buy-in, um, especially if you want to apply change. Um, and people need to believe that the change is worth the, the investment, worth the pivot. Um, in terms of verticals, the verticals are made from mobile production studio. Um, and um, the way we kind of started that out, honestly, was we saw the change coming with like a lot of the, a lot of the, basically when it came to um, us delivering social and social campaigns, mm -hmm. the, the problem that we always faced at the time was, well, we need assets, right? So how do we get those assets? You know, brands would spend huge amounts of their budget taking like campaigns out just to get 20 photos. And mm -hmm. I remember the first campaign we did for, for a brand was actually Weber, Weber, the, the barbecues, grills, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, we did a campaign for them and at the time we're managing their social and we said, well, look, let's do a three, four day shoot um, and we'll build all the media bank that we need for the next year. And they're like, okay. Um, I mean, we're used to doing like a shoot and getting maybe 18, 20 photos. I was like, okay. Um, after four days of filming and this is going back six or seven year odd years ago, I think we came out with 80 videos, um, a TVC, uh, a media bank that lasted us for like a year or two, 3,000 photos. And they were like, right. how did you optimize our budget so well? Yeah. I was like, well, we just cut out all the crap you didn't need. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot that goes into a traditional production that doesn't need to be there. And when you're filming for mobile, you know, like I've seen it. I, had a, I was working with a friend of mine who's a director DOP and he was pulled into this huge campaign. I'm not going to go into the brand or anything in the details because I might get called out for it, but <laughs> they spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars filming this, getting a huge director on board, color grading it overseas, getting buy-in and sign-off from everyone around the world for this huge brand. Um, it went live on Instagram. It was, it wasn't optimized. It was, it was, it was horizontal. Um, the color grade while it was beautiful for cinema wasn't great for social on a mobile phone where everyone's like screens and brightness is changing. Um, and they spent literally probably about half a million dollars. And I think they all up, they got like 400 views. 
right? Wow. Um, don't get me wrong. They would have used it for other material. They would have sure. used it at exhibitions. They would have used it in, in on property, et cetera, et cetera. But that was like such an eye opener for me. I was like, what a waste of money. Like mm. what a waste of resource. You know what I mean? If they're going to spend that money, like give them efficiency, give them an opportunity to, to get real return for their spend. Um, and yeah, with the rise of, of IGTV at the time, you know, it was actually on the day that IGTV launched. I think it was a Friday, so it would have been our weekend. I actually, mm. you know, grabbed someone um, in the team. I was like, look, this is a bit of a Hail Mary. Um, I really want us to be the first in the region to like come out and say we're, uh, we're you know, we're, we're launching Vertical as a studio. We want people to like know that we're, you know, we're built for mobile, made for mobile, optimized. Mm-hmm. Um, not just for mobile, but also the storytelling is made for mobile. The way we do things is made for mobile, the entire process. And we were already doing it anyways. We just needed to label it, right? Um, so uh, one of the guys jumped into the office with me and he was like, sure, I'm in. And we launched it there and then on that Friday, the day IGTV launched, we launched Vertical. And we're like, right. if that's a future, if we believe that that's a, a bet we want to take, that's what we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna deliver on as well. So we launched it the same day. Um, and that was always our positioning. You know, we were the first in the region to be, to be made for mobile as a production studio. Um, we've, you know, every, we've gone on to optimize the entire workflow, everything from planning to um, planning or concept and, and, and design to pre-prod and um, planning to, you know, the actual production and then output, et cetera, optimization, rollout, every, all that sort of stuff is done all at, at speed and scale. Um, and, and obviously, as those platforms change, so in the, in the way they operate, so have we. Um, but like that was just an example of one of the one of the sort of um, bets we took as a business um, that was driven through what we believe was a market need, um, because we needed it as an agency f- to serve our clients. And we're like, if we can serve all our clients with this sort of a service, then you know, we can go beyond our, our client set as well and see if yeah. this is a need and a desire for them as well. So yeah, sure. Vertical um, is probably about four or five more um, years old. And um, yeah, that was that was born on, on like I said, the day IGTV launched. Yeah, you, you jumped on it. Yeah, I remember it and I thought, yeah, that's, uh, that's bold and clever in terms of doing it. And it actually leads into my next question because it's, and again, I'm not asking you to give away any secrets of what you're doing next, but you, you've already said that you've been able to see things happening almost not before they're happening, but as they're happening and be able to get in there first. What, what, is, what do you see the future is for brands and, and companies is when it comes to social communications and stuff? Because it is one thing I've noticed is it gets very crowded in, in the market very quickly. Once somebody says, okay, right, we're, we're going for stories, we're going reels, we're, we're doing this. And then everybody jumps onto that and everyone's doing it. And you're thinking, okay. Uh, and it works for some brands. It doesn't work for other brands based on product production quality, all of the various different variables that go in there. But it, as it gets more and more noisy, as we get more and more uh, net savvy, if you like, as a consumer to understand what's actually happening and why that's happening. Where do you see it going next in terms of what, 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 will, what will work for brands in the digital space when it comes to the kind of content that they're putting out there? Look, I think every brand is a tech brand at this point. You know, if you're mm-hmm. starting a new business, you're tech enabled. If you're opening yeah. up a restaurant, you are immediately delivering to the need of you know, the, the deliveries and the Uber Eats and the DoorDashes of the world. 
Yes, you will have the other side of the business, but you are you are going to be tech enabled. I think every business, for any business to succeed today, they need to have some sort of um, enablement through technology, uh, and and social does play a huge part in that. Mm. I believe that the, the 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 dynamics of communication are shifting, um, and you know we always pride ourselves on, on sitting on the cusp of what's next. Like that's something that we're always like we're always looking out to understand what's next, and. We do take bets, some that pay off, some that don't. Um, cool. But you have to take those bets. And like, you know, it's that whole um, bullets and cannonballs sort of like analogy, right? Like you shoot bullets and, 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 and calibrate until you hit a target and then you go full steam ahead with a cannonball rather than putting all your eggs in one basket, cannonball missing, and then, and, and then you're exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of like what we see as sort of next, um, what's been really interesting is the democratization of, communication, distribution, um, content in general, like from the, the more traditional means of, of how it used to be. You know, you used to have back in the day in Dubai, for example, we had channel 33 and that was it. Um, <laughs> then, that, then obviously you get satellite, you get huge amounts of, of reach, but again, you're stuck to that satellite network. Um, and then obviously like as the, the, the mobile generation has come to life, you know, the birth of platforms, everything from, from Facebook, Meta, if you will, Instagram to TikTok, like TikTok has completely democratized the creator experience. I mean, Instagram, of course, did, but even like at the, the speed and breadth that um, TikTok delivers to, yeah. like it is a pure play media platform. It's, it's Netflix on steroids and yeah. anyone can make their own stories. Um, and, and, and the distribution is far greater, right, than, than, yeah. than a lot of those traditional media players. Um, and I, I, I even put Netflix as a traditional media player, which isn't traditional in any sort, right? Like it's, 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 it's so anti-traditional in terms of how it got to where it is, but even still like that democratization continues to happen. Um, and it, it's got to the point now where like, you're right, there's huge amounts of saturation as a brand. It can be exhausting trying to figure out where to spend your money, where to shift your focus and where to, where to really just double down on your efforts. Um, and, and those platforms have really kind of manipulated over time because their sort of whole thing was we build a walled, walled garden, um, we get you in there, we get all the users, and then you have to pay us to access yeah. them, right? And, and fair play, like it's a business, right? And, and yeah, you can be all, you can, you can be, be, have your own opinion about how, whether that's right or wrong, but ultimately and fundamentally, that's how, that's how a mall works, right? You drive traffic to a place and then you, you monetize on rent to make sure that people are there to... to to um to get exposure to your audience but in this instance obviously it's 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 it feels a little bit more you know like it's in the billions of users now so kids are on it family members are on it, everyone's on it um and it is really noisy and where do people spend their money and, and their focus as, as a brand moving forward is really interesting and it's, it's really just follow your audience so where if i say somewhere today for a brand it could be completely different tomorrow and it will be different tomorrow um so those eyeballs are shifting so you need to move with those eyeballs now where those eyeballs are shifting to like there are some bold bets that we're looking at um that we're, we're, we're taking as a business but i think they're pretty obvious to to a lot of the i guess noise that we've been hearing in general like we are going through an evolution of the web in itself. You know, everyone's talking about web 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0. And while we're quite far away from really feeling the mass impact of that, there is, you know, you got to just follow the money, right? Like there's a huge amount of money being invested into these spaces. Um, and you just have to follow the money and, and, and you're not going to see it 
tomorrow. You're not going to see it next year, but you'll see it in four or five years time. Mm-hmm. You know, like even this call, like we would, we're both in Dubai. We'd normally do this in person. I'm such a people's person. I'd much prefer to hang out with you, Barry, yeah. like in person than, than do it virtually. But we have to do it virtually. And, and at the beginning, it felt awkward, but we just like over time, the behavior has shifted, the behavior has changed. And, and this is how we, we, we communicate. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, the same thing, like as like this was forced through an abrupt change um, that was imposed on, on every on communities like lockdowns forced yeah. us to behave this way. But what we like, we, we feel forced because this is a change to our behavior to a nine year old who's playing Roblox, you know, day in, day out. Yeah. This isn't this a change is of behavior. This is normal. I'm engaging, connecting, communicating virtually. So where are those experiences going to next? If you really want to know, like you've got kids, I, like watch how they how they engage, how they connect, how they. Um, I mean, obviously they're probably a little bit too young to be at that point. But yeah. when you're around other kids, watch them interact. When you're at a restaurant, watch what they're doing. Like that's the future. These are the people who are going to be shaping our future. Just like the platforms are shaping how we connect and engage, the youth are actually shaping and giving you a roadmap on how people are going to connect and communicate in the future. So, look, I know it doesn't directly answer your question with this bet, that bet. But ultimately, if you're, you know, if you're looking and, and keeping your eyes open, um, you will be able to identify those patterns where people are spending their time and shifting their focus and, and building behavior. And that's where, you know, as a brand, you need to kind of like consider where to go next. But at the same time, for us as a business, to know that these are the sort of like the next frontiers that we need to be, you know, uh, approaching with eyes open. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting point because I completely agree. And it, but it also, it's it's one of the things I do. One of my initiatives is called Beat the Cyberbully. So I talk to schools and children about cyber safety and online and balance and so forth. And so it's interesting because it's, I see it from the digital perspective. They are the future. This is what's going to happen. But I'm I'm talking to parents at the moment about how to manage their use of the technology, but also not from a take it away, but from a this is the future. And, and it's it's also just sort of talked back to what you're already doing in terms of moving forward as a business. It's about seeing what's going on and whether we like it or not as parents, especially if you've got tweens or teens at the moment and you're worried about, and there are some legitimate dangers in the online space, but the solution is not taking it away from them because that is the future. And this is part of our messaging that we talk about is that we as, as the older generation have to get more in tune with what they're doing and why they're doing it because we're not going back to pen and paper and how it was when we were growing up. This is going to go faster and, and further. And if we don't get on board now, it's actually going to be harder for us to, um, to, to, to be involved in our children's lives or as a brand to be relevant to our audience. Because if everybody that you need to talk to and show what you can do is over here on platform X, you have to be there because you can do all yeah. of the amazing content you want on platform Y if nobody's seeing it and nobody's engaging with it, then why, why, why do it? And it's it's just a really interesting point that you make because I think that it's it's difficult for it was difficult ten years ago for business to understand things like web optimization and SEO and paid advertising and all of these kind of things and the metrics and the, the data that was available. Now more of them are on board with that. There's still many that are not, and again, they're the ones that seem to be struggling because they're a decade behind the curve, as it were. And I firmly believe it doesn't actually matter what business you're in now. As you said, if you launch a business, you're going to be reliant on tech. But whether you are launching now or you launched 
100 years ago, you need to think about how you're going to build the technology into your processes and how you're doing things because the next generation of customer is going to expect to do everything on that device or the heads up display, totally. whatever it turns into next uh, from that side of things. So I think you make a very good point. Follow, follow the money, but follow the youth because where they're spending time, they're also the next generation of decision makers and the next generation of business owners. And uh, they're, they're yeah. going to be the ones that we have to cater to. Uh, if we want our businesses to stay relevant and also uh, to, to your point from before, if they want to come and work for our business, because they're not going to come and work for a business that's still doing things the old fashioned way. Cause they're thinking, hang on, I'm not progressing then as an individual, as, as, a, as a person. Yeah. I'm, I'm not moving with the times. And that's not going to help me when I go and apply for another job. And they say, so what have you been utilized? Oh, well, we, we still do everything on Excel spreadsheets and a, and a piece of paper. And they're like, what do you mean? And, 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 and as, you know, as silly as that sounds, is that a lot of businesses say, no, you need to be au fait with all of these platforms because that's where our customers are. This is where you need to understand yeah. how to engage with them and so forth. So it's a, it is, you're absolutely right. And it's an interesting, interesting scenario that we found ourselves in, I think, just as a society because of all the different generations that are actually much closer together now in terms of experiencing all of these changes. And uh, I'm sure that you've had some interesting conversations with some brands who or maybe uh, reticent to get in. They, they they know that they need to be doing some of these things, but then as you put some of these suggestions to them, I'm sure you've probably seen those those winces of. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know? We pitched it. We pitched a TikTok campaign. I think probably in 2018, and right. they were like, "What the hell? What the hell is this? This is like <laughs> yeah. I think it was, it was a it was a brand, one of Unilever's brands, and they were just like, "What the hell is this?" And we actually yeah. filmed it out. It was like. Uh, it was a bit of a skit that we did and it was, you know, it was, it wasn't an ad, it was a TikTok, right? Yeah. We filmed it and they looked at us and they're like, it's almost like they wanted to kick us out the room. <laughs> and you know what? I was happy with that. I was like, yeah. because if you don't buy into the kind of way that we want to do things in the sense of what we believe is going to engage your audience, I don't want to turn up, show up and just do work that is yeah. outdated either. Um, you know, for, as well for us, like as a team, like I want to make sure the team is working on, on like the cutting edge of what's next, you know, like I want us to yeah. be working with the best brands in the world, brands that are shaping, you know, culture with the work that they do, because then they, like the team feels like they're building, the, they're building their legacy by building the legacy of others. Like that's what we say in the business, like our vision, our dream, like our, our championship is to build a legacy. And we build our legacy by building the legacy of others. And we want to be able to do our, um, you know, our partners, most important work in their most important markets. Um, like that's how we get there. Um, so yeah, like hundred percent, you know, you have to be, you have to be thinking of it that way so that you can actually go out and do that type of work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is interesting when you get that pushback from those, those companies. And as you said, there, it's kind of that, that sign to you say, you know what, it's probably not a good fit in terms of working relationship if, if you're not, you know, and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's like, you know yeah. what, thank you very much. Um, we'll, uh, see you down the line somewhere. <laughs> One of the biggest learnings I actually took, so when we, like early days when we were working, actually somebody didn't mention, we used to do quite a lot with influencers. We used to like represent talent and, and we were really connected in terms of how we'd go to, you know, go to brands and build campaigns with them and that sort of thing. And there were certain brands that we worked with, certain relationships that we worked within that became really toxic and they weren't rewarding. They weren't rewarding for me. They weren't rewarding for the team. And we weren't doing great work. Like we were just, we were just, in really toxic environments yeah. and the output wasn't, wasn't meaningful enough. And we actually just drew a line and said, we're not, whenever we're, we're not doing that work ever again, we're not working with these types of clients again. We're not working with these types of services again. That's it. We're done with it. And yeah. let's put our efforts and energies where we feel like we can have more impact. Now that's really scary to do when 
that's your source of income. That's your yeah. cash flow. Um, and at times it can be, it can, it can seem really exciting in terms of the opportunity, but ultimately if you're not getting rewarded, then why are you wasting your time? And I'm not just talking about financial reward. I'm also talking about like impact reward, right? Like the, the work we're actually doing is, is something that's more meaningful. Like people talk about wanting to be purpose driven brands and all that sort of stuff. And yes, that's true. But at the same time, like if you're not feeling like if you don't wake good, I don't mind working 18 hour days and going to bed going, damn, we really kicked some ass today. Like that was fun. Like that's fun. If you're doing 18 hour days and you're eating shit for someone that's, that's, that's disrespectful of your, your efforts, your time, and, and not really like empowering you to do your best work, then yeah, you're not going to be, you're not going to be, you're not going to wake up the next day driven to, to do something else. I'm not saying everyone has to work 18 hour days every day. No. But what I'm saying is like, when you know that the reward and the impact of the work that you're doing is meaningful, then you're willing to go the extra mile. Because exactly. if I was to put a game, if I was to put it, I remember this, Red Alert came out and I think I sat there playing it until like 9 a.m. the next morning, right? No one put a gun to my set head and said, play this game, try and yeah. finish this game. And I was like 12, 13 years old. I'm showing my age here. <laughs> but ultimately I sat there and I wanted to play that game. I remember waiting in line to, to pick up like Halo 2 when it came out and picked up the game at like 3 a.m., ran home and I played to like midday. You know, I had yeah. uni that day. I went from, I had like my next, like my lesson was like a, one o'clock and I played till midday, got in the car and drove. <laughs> I was like, I've not slept yet, but I played because I wanted to like get as far as I could in that game. And that's my philosophy of work as well. Like if you want to succeed, if you want to like do that, you, you don't need a nine to five to, to be your window. Like you'll just, you're all in because you care. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But then again, like you're also all in on the other stuff that you do within your life as well, right? Like I'm all in with my family. I'm all in with my friends. I'm all in with that. So I don't give my friends a window like, hey, I'm only going to see you from this time to this time. If I'm enjoying myself, I want to be there, right? The same thing if I'm if I'm enjoying sport, I want to be there. Like obviously there, there will be a window because I'm, I'm at, that, at that age where my body's falling apart. <laughs> but the, the, diff- the difference is like if, you, if you're doing something that you care for, you're not clock watching. And that's, yeah. and that's something that I feel like as a business, we've had to make certain decisions around so that we feel like we're doing more of that. Sure. I think it's really an interesting point as well that you make, because it's especially in, in this part of the world, when I started as well, is that there's, there's always uh, a lot of people and a lot of businesses that will always say yes. They, they, and then when you're starting your business, you want to say yes, because you're building your business and you have to do certain things. But I think to your point is that actually the ability to say no is super powerful, especially, I mean, in business all over the world, but in, in this part of the world, especially, we noticed that as well, that we we went through this, this really long pitch process and this trying to figure out exactly what the client wanted and how we could do it all. And, and that we spent like about half a day, probably, you know, four or five hours in a workshop doing this. And, and it was getting to that point where I just had to say, you know what, guys, it's not for us you know, we've gone through all of this. And so it's just, we're going to have to say that's not actually um, a project that we're going to be able to do well for you. I can already see where there's going to be issues. There's not, it's not going to be, um, I'm not verbalizing this to the client. I'm thinking this, I'm just saying to the client, you know, I don't think that this is a good fit. And uh, we spent all of this time, we're still struggling to get this. So I'm just going to say to save all of us some more time, let's just call it, call it a day. And they're like, you know what? Okay. Thank you very much. And uh, it was it was scary because you're thinking that is a lot of money that we could be using as the business, as a project. Um, we're a small business. We want to be able to get to those kind of things, but I'm going to say no. And so we did that. And the very next day, I got a call from somebody out of the blue and they said, oh, hi, Barry, I've just been recommended to you by so-and-so to have a chat about these kind of things because um, 
they said that you that you'll give me a, a you know an honest appraisal of what what's what. And I was thinking, what well, who was it again? And it was the head of the company that we'd said no to yesterday. And he'd said, you know what, you'll just get an honest and uh, if he can't do it, he'll say no. And it was interesting because this was way back when, you know, so 10, 10, 10 years ago, I suppose, when we started out, that everybody was just saying yes and then under-delivering, you know, over-promising and under-delivering. Yeah. But it's it's a learning process to be able to say, you know what, yeah, we should be doing what we do best. And because if we're doing what we do best, then our clients get the best out of us as well. And like you say, just from that, but also from that personal side of things, because it's, it's you know, you and I, like I say, I'm, I'm getting old as well. And I understand that so you, you don't have as much time as you think you do. And you want to be spending that time doing stuff that you enjoy, whether that's work, whether that's family, whether that's sports, I think it's so important. And you start to prioritize those things. But when you're in your business, it is difficult because you're thinking, you know what, we, sh- we, sh- we should be saying yes to these kind of things because we can make it work. We can do these kind of things. But then... So you're not being true to yourself and you're not being as good as you could be. And this comes right full circle back to your point of if you're not trying to be the best at what you're doing, then why are you doing it? And I think that's really, really yeah. <laughs> and I think what you brought up is like a really interesting, like decision-making sort of process, right? And it's, it's important, especially as, as you're building a team out that people understand how you're, you're qualifying those decisions because it can't just be what, what Mike says so because then it's always going to be Mike's business. And I don't want, like, I'm not building a business for it to be under my umbrella. It's, it's a business that our employees are our stakeholders. You know, like we mm-hmm. were not built in the, in the sense that we need to raise the next round of funding or we're, we're running a burn uh, and, and we need to make decisions that are driven through what's left in, 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 in that round, right? Like for us, our stakeholders are our people, the mm-hmm. people in the team. And it's really important that they understand how decisions are made as well. Um, and we go back a few years, the way we were kind of looking at opportunities was under the fame, fun and fortune model. And we'd always say, like, we want to tick two of those off. So is this going to make us famous? Is this going to be fun to do? And is this going to make, like, a, is this a yielding opportunity? Or is this a yielding opportunity? Um, if it's just fortune, and we always have to tick two of those, right? Those right. are the lenses we look through. If it's just fortune and the client's going to spend a lot of money, but at the same time, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to make us famous with the work we're doing. No, nah, not, not yeah. interested. If it's going to be fun and fame, you know, like, and it's not going to make us a lot of money. At least we know we're doing awesome work and we're doing with people that, you know, we're going to have fun with. Um, And that's how we first started. But as we've evolved as a business, you know, like you get to a scale or you get to a, like, especially the way we are just like as a team, you know, working in different locations, et cetera. Like you need to be able to restructure how a business looks at decision-making across the board. Um, And more recently we've, we've adapted this people product profit um, model um, and in that model, it's almost like a flywheel, right? Like it starts with our people. Like I said at the beginning of the call, people are the center and the heart of what we do. Mm. Get the best people on the bus, you know, make sure that we're doing great work. Uh, make sure that you've got great people who know what, how they can contribute. They will deliver the best product. If you're delivering the best product, the profit takes care of itself and you reinvest that in your people. And it's that cycle, right? It's that cycle. Yeah. Whereas a lot of other agencies, a lot of other businesses here will be like, I'm going to take on this piece of business. And we actually had this opportunity uh, last year where someone came to us and it was an opportunity for us to, to, to take on um, what would have been a really exciting account with, with high yield, et cetera. But it would have absolutely destroyed our team. Mm. Um, it would have compromised our product. And in most other businesses, if, if we weren't looking at people as our stakeholders, we would have said yes because profit-wise it made sense, right? Mm. But we actually said, no, we can't do it. Um, and this is going back to your point of being honest, right? Like we could have just said been yes, yes. And, yeah. and someone actually called <laughs> me out and I love being called out by the team because I'm like, you are helping, you're contributing to the decision. It's not my decision, it's our decision. And, that, and that, that team member called me out and be like, Mike, let's look at through these lenses. 
you know, if we're saying yes, we're looking at profit, which is the one we want to least focus on because if we focus on people and product, the profit takes care of itself. It's like playing sport, right? If you've got the right team on the pitch and you're playing the right way, you don't need to keep looking at the scoreboard. If you're looking at the scoreboard every, every two, three minutes and then you realize you're 2-0 down, you're 3-0 down or whatever, you're constantly chasing yeah. the scoreboard. You're not chasing the game, right? Yeah. So focus on the people, build, build the product and the profit takes care of itself. Um, and as a result of that, um, like for us now across the team, they're starting to understand how we're making decisions. We had new joiners come in and I kind of explained this as part of our philosophy. And you could see there was, it was a little bit of like discomfort there. They're like, <laughs> but hold on a sec. Like I'm here to grow the business and you're telling me not to focus on profit. I'm like, yes, I am. But, and, and yes, your responsibility is to help us grow a part of the business for sure. But you need to be looking at through this lens and you need to understand the philosophy behind this. Because believe me, if all you do is focus on profit, you'll screw your team, you'll yeah. co- compromise your product. And ultimately, you know, it'll be even harder to sell in and, and have more of a network effect in terms of the good work we do. Yeah, no, so true. And it's, it's, it's a interesting and refreshing to hear it because it's something that um, one of the guys I follow a lot is Gary Vaynerchuk and just in terms of his approach to business and what he's doing. And, and your people-centric focus is exactly the way that businesses should be built. And, and like I say, your approach to it, in my opinion, it should be built because you are then focusing on those people. And if those people feel that you as the owner of the business are working for them so that they can totally. be better they'll be better. Your business will be better. And it's an, it's, it's a concept that's not new, but it's, it's been out there, but it's still so many businesses don't do it that way. And so it's this interesting scenario that we find ourselves in where businesses are still structuring and building themselves at a quote old fashioned way. Uh, whereas if you do focus on the people and not to say that you focus on the people, but actually focus on the people, then you, you put yourself into to that position for success. Which brings me to this this final area in terms of how your approach to building your business and, and doing these things obviously comes from you, your background and so forth. So as Mike, what what is it that you, um, what, what I like to do is ask, you know, I guess for, for resources or things or practices that you as Mike does to, to keep you on track with that way of thinking, to keep tactical the way that you want it to be. Is there some stuff that you can share with the listeners just in terms of how you, how you do that, where you go, books you've read, people you've talked to, or things that you sure. would recommend these guys go and look at? Totally. So one of the, go back to COVID times, right? When, when COVID was hitting and I was thinking to myself, I was like, and something I've also recognized in, in the years before then, I was like, I don't really have a mentor that I can go to with these sort of problems. Like, who do I speak to? Who do I rely on? Um, and as COVID was hitting, I was like, I mean, who the hell do you speak to about a pandemic? Like, what's, what, how, to, like, you know, how to navigate through that as a business? And what I ended up doing was actually um, thinking to myself, like, well, who are the people I would love to be in the room with? You know, I started identifying a few people, Mark Andreessen, um, Bill Gurley, um, Daniel Eck, like how are these guys like navigating the, the businesses that they work with or the businesses that they run? Like, how are they going to navigate through these times? Um, and I'd love to be sitting in a room listening to them talk about this. So I did exactly that. I found them on podcasts and right. I listened to what they're saying. And I'd walk on the beach, you know, I'd just sit there and po- like, I'd, I'd, I'd walk on the beach podcast for hours on end on the weekend. And I'll just be listening and be like, okay, Bill Gurley's talking about this. Mark Andreessen's talking about this. This person's talking about that. This person's talking about that. And I just identify patterns and like, okay, this is how these people are going to navigate. This is how these people recommend navigating through these times because this is what they've done. You know, history repeats itself, right? Like mm. if you want to understand the future, review the past, right? Better understand the past. So listen to people who have been through stuff like this before. It's really easy to get online and 
sit on Instagram and, and, and read what some 30 year old saying about what they think you should do. Or I can listen to someone who's got experience navigating through turmoil and what they did in that time. And then listen to a group of them talking about it. And that's a beauty, beauty of like audio and podcasting. Like if you close your eyes, it's like you're in the room with them. Right. Yeah. So you're just picking up and listening. And I think that's a huge, huge thing that I've had to, um, a huge behavior that I've had to adjust for is listening. Before it was all about talking. I was a sales guy. Like I need to be out there selling, 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 selling. Now all I do is listen. You know, I listen to my peers. I listen to my team. I listen to my, um, you know, my, my audience, like my customer in terms of what their needs are. I listen. All I do is listen. And I think that's a really like difficult behavior to learn, especially in today's world where people just want to talk. Mm-hmm. If you listen, you, you're, you're double downing on your learning, right? Everyone else is talking, is it? Um, and that's another thing. Like, so I'd listen and then also in kind of books I read, right? So I've read some incredible like resources, which I found really like personally inspiring. Um, one that I mentioned just before, Mark Andreessen, um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, I thought was like a really interesting book that, that kind of said it as, as I was going through things, right? So they right. said he, he, he'd been through things that every business builder has gone through. I hate the term entrepreneur, right? Because it gets mm-hmm. thrown around. But if you're building a business, building a team, like you're going to go through certain challenges, through growth, through all these things. And he just talks about a lot of the points that are really touching and, and um, like that resonated with me a lot. And it just like, looked again, like I was looking into the future. So nice. listening, like reading is another form of listening, really. At the end of the day, you're absorbing in, in information that you decide what to do with it. Um, and there's other books out there where there's Andy Grove, High Output Management, um, that I thought was really interesting. He's a guy who kind of conceptualized KPI, so goal setting, again, like more proactive than reactive. You know, how do you build to thrive, not just to survive? Um, so yeah, like that's, that's kind of where I go. I go to learn from others who have been through it before. Um, and I read something once, which I found really interesting. It's like, if you want to do a master's, don't bother. Just go get like these 10 autobiographies of people who have done things in the past and read that, read those, because you will (laughs) learn so much through them and their experiences that you don't need to do a master's. And Mm. like, look, I'm not taking anything away from people who've done masters, obviously (laughs) incredible feat and, and, and huge recognition, but ultimately, if you can spend time with people who have done it before and learn from them and then synthesize that, you know, build your own, identify your own patterns and build your own sort of point of view on it and, and, and challenge and question that, that, that for me is true learning. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's a really good, good point. There's one, I was a, I am an out and out sales guy as well, having built this business. But one of the things I learned in sales 101 way back when, when I said it was like two ears, one mouth listen yeah. twice as much as you're using this and you'll go far. And it was always, it was way back when Microsoft was all about consultative selling, but it served me well uh, over the years that actually, yeah, listening. And I, I'm a big, not only because we do these podcasts like this, but I'm a big podcast consumer uh, in terms of the, I think you make such a valid point, especially with the digital world we live in now, access to those people is so much easier than it ever was because they are choosing to share this information out there for effectively free. If you just go and search for it and, and download it yeah. on your, wherever you listen to your podcasts, so much learning can be done. And I think you also make a valid point and we won't get into it because it is slightly controversial, but the whole idea of education systems and whatnot and versus when you're building a business, if you look at the person who's just done their degree or their master's versus the person that's been working for five years in that industry, which one are you going to maybe lean towards? And, and, you know, from, from a lot of the learning I've done is that I would always go for the person that's had the experience of working and doing it because they've taken well, they didn't even have the theoretical idea of what was in that course or their degree. They've just gone out there and they've learned on the fly because a lot of the times what's in that book 
isn't quite how it plays out in the real world. And if you've gone through that, to your point, you're experienced in that, then that's the kind of thing that a business builder is looking for to build in, in, into their into their business to say, you know what, that, that, that's cool. And again, to echo your point, I'm not taking away from people that have gone through this, but I do think that in the real world, employment, you know, if you're going through the recruitment, recruitment process, people are looking at what have you done? How are you as a person to come back to this idea of actually, who are you as an individual? It's not all about the qualifications is how do you fit into our business with the skill sets that you have, not the, the hard uh, skills, but the soft skills in terms of your empathy, in terms of your ability to liaise with people, to communicate with people, because that's what, what we're doing now. And uh, I think it's, it's a, it's a really, really valid point that you make there that the, uh, the listening is, it's difficult. It's difficult for all of us to do. Um, and then as you get into parenthood, it becomes even harder because you think, I think, I know, I'm the dad, I'm going to tell, but actually listening to our children, this is a big, big point that I, I, I do with a lot of the stuff I do with people. So really listening to our children is a skill that we have to learn uh, as, as parents because we can learn a lot from them and then apply some of our experience to the situation that they find themselves in, which nine times out of 10 today will be in a digital format. Um, and, and then maybe we can we can communicate with each other, which is, I think, the big problems we're not. Uh, and that, that also applies in business, is that sometimes there's two parties talking at each other, but we're not communicating with each other, and then things get lost and, and we aren't able to deliver on it. And I think uh, it's, a, it's a really valid point. You know, make, make, making sure that we can listen is, is a good one. Totally. Totally. I think it's one thing you mentioned there very quickly on that is, like one of my favorite interview questions I ask everyone, like for us, is problem solving is the core of what we do, right? And I asked them, like, what's your biggest fuck up? You know, like, tell yeah. me, like, a time you, 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 you really screwed up. And it's, I'm doing it not just to understand, like, to call out and be difficult. I'm, I'm doing it to understand what they did in that time, how they reacted and how they problem solved on the ground. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really interesting getting that reaction in terms of how people respond. Because if you see someone who deflects, if you see someone who blames someone else, yeah. and the only reason this happened was because of that, then it's like, well, we're, when we're in the crunch and we're in the trenches and we need to, like, really group together, I have questions because that's how people have responded in there in, the, in those moments. And obviously, like you said, experience will will dictate how they can actually contribute in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it is. It's it's just the reality of the, the world that we, we live in. So it's it's a it's an interesting one. It also helps people take the or helps you as that recruiter or the employer to see where, how well rounded that person is. Because it's also people say, well, I don't want to say anything that would be potentially negative in my interview process. Yeah. I never make a mistake. You're like, come on, we're all human. We all make mistakes yeah. all of the time. How you react to those mistakes? That's actually the key to to this. And uh, I think that's a fantastic bit of uh, learning to uh, to end the the podcast on Mike I've taken up uh, enough of your time there I really oh, appreciate I you uh, taking the time thanks very much for coming on awesome thank you so much Barry great chatting thanks and to everybody listening in thanks for tuning in on this one as always if there's anyone that you would like us to have a chat with drop us a line wishlist at swenglanese.rocks thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next one Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Swanglinese with your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Endermo. We'll catch you next time.